A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. And welcome to the final episode of Malico Darty. We've had some great chats up, up until now in the first and the second episode. This one is actually going to touch on the likes of Karma, Destiny, and uh, Malachi's latest book, Terry Branken Has a Gun. Welcome, Malachi. Do you think at all, Malachi, just something that comes into my mind? I've been, I haven't done anything like the years you did, obviously, at an ashram, but I've been on retreats and healing situations. I can imagine that that period of time and the bliss that you were feeling some of that time, could that, could that have given you a different uh, perspective and possibly overly high expectations of, of normal human relations uh, afterwards? You mean, would it have primed me to expect more than was yeah, possible? Essentially. Or, uh, yeah, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, these weird experiences of going to Amsterdam and going to mm-hmm. India mm-hmm. were had a sense of the magical about them. You know, I had mythologized them in my own mind mm-hmm. to to believe or feel that things happened because they were destined to happen. Okay, yeah, and that and, and you know that uh, and that if I was just available to uh, uh, to good fortune. There was mm-hmm. a there was a script there for me, you know. It was already laid down. That was the kind of way I was I was kind of thinking, and that fitted with a lot of the discussion you see in India around mm-hmm. uh, Hinduism and karma. So there was a kind of a sense that, um, you know, if I had met this girl who was uh, uh, really interested in me, you know, and we connected so well that this mm-hmm. wasn't meant to happen, you know. Yeah. I mean yeah. that that that's that's the kind of thinking that maybe come out of that. And actually, you know, none of it was meant to happen. What what you have to do in a relationship is get to know the other person, let the other person get to know you, and ride mm-hmm. the storms. You know. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, and I should have known that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a it's a normal reaction from you know your years in India. To be looking for sort yeah. of that almost twin soul or soulmate. That's it. That, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. and we used language like that. People mm-hmm. were using that language, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't want. I'm not going to go into. I mean, I have. I am doing a, a book on relationships, so we can talk about that another time. But okay. I mean, uh, but that is the kind of. The, you know, I mean, for instance, I'll just tell you briefly. In Donegal, I met a woman mm. who was part Indian, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, we, we were on the first day we were together, we were sitting down talking and she told me the name of her Indian grandfather. And mm-hmm. I said, Oh, I know that would be, he would have been one of the sons of Calcutta. Uh, yeah. And I says, was he a member of the Brahmo Samaj? And she says he was, you know, wow. so because I had done my reading and knew about the, the religious, uh, reformation, if you like, within Hinduism mm-hmm. in Calcutta. 
at the beginning of the 19th century. And she had never met anyone who knew anything about this, although mm -hmm. she was a highly educated uh, uh, Swiss woman, you know. Uh, and here she comes to Donegal and this guy who's given her a lift uh, <laughs> is taking her to bar and having a drink. And he's mm -hmm. suddenly talking to her about her grandfather, you know. Yeah. With 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 knowledge that she's never come across in another person, and you, and and again you kind of get that, of course, this is meant to happen. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's and it's all baloney, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's I, I guess it's up for grabs. I mean, for example, you said uh, <laughs> put it that way if you like. I think it's yeah. baloney. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I don't. I'm I'm kind of open minded. At least about I think it. you're better treating it. As, I think you're better treating it as baloney. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I have no idea about whether there's a script laid down. I have no mm -hmm. idea. But I, I mean, I do still have that feeling of uh -huh. there being, uh, you know, uh, of I think, you know, the whole idea of karma and, and, and whatever. Uh, I do uh, been so immersed in that thinking, you know, that I do have that feeling of that. But mm -hmm. I think that if you are in a relationship and you start thinking in those terms, then you are you you can't anticipate what the script is even if there is a script you can't anticipate what it is so what's the point in uh, yeah. in congratulating yourself on having uh, recognized the script in play you know mm. that's my mm. that's, that's what i'm saying no i, I don't think expected there, yeah. a conversation <laughs> Well, I was I was actually looking looking at some of the notes I had made, and at the same time, I'm thinking yeah. exactly about what you're saying. And on one hand, mm -hmm. maybe are our chosen partners forgetting about the script for a moment? Are they people we have yeah. common life life lessons in in in, in connection yeah. with? You know, that that's yeah. another possibility. I also you, think you, that we we relate to people like siblings as well. You know, I think there's mm -hmm, a thing there. Mm -hmm. I think you. You find your sibling in the other, you know. But I mean, if you are in a relationship with someone and you have that feeling that this person is your soulmate, that you've mm -hmm. been together in a previous lifetime or whatever, and things are going wrong in the relationship, you know, yeah, you you know that that uh, that thinking may just uh, disrupt the way in which you manage that situation. You know, you're better you're better, better just leaving that thinking to the side altogether. You know. That's that's my feeling. I think I think if things go wrong, Malachi, you mm -hmm. could view it as maybe that these are um, points of growth for both people. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. Or you can walk away from them because they're a pain in the arse. Awesome. You know. <laughs> awesome. you know? But if you're in a, <laughs> but if you're in a, you know, but even in a stable relationship, and I'm married now, twenty five years. You know. Yeah. So we're going yeah. back quite a bit. But even within a, a, a good, strong relationship, there will be moments of, of there will be quarreling and, of and yep. moments of, 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 of doubt, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and, and you work through them and you make it work, you know, uh, you don't, you don't, you can't fall back in some sense of, uh, spiritual destiny having brought you together and, yep. and, think that that's going to get you through those difficulties you know it's back yeah. to the question of whether what works is the western psychological model or the spiritual model and mm. and i come back to the western psychological without saying that the spiritual model is wrong because how do i know you know yeah. how can we know the, the i mean we live in a context which is beyond all comprehension you know mm -hmm. um 
So, so how can I know what's wrong? But, but still in all, in, on, in, on the day to day level, what works is, uh, is psychology and, and mm-hmm. consideration and empathy, yeah. uh, on yeah. a personal level, not, not some, not some reliance on God to sort things out, you know? Definitely. You, you, you wrote in, I was a teenage Catholic. I had my spiritual roots in Ireland that simply could not be transplanted in India. And that it was here that the only path I was really called to had to be walked. When you mm. refer to your spiritual roots, Malachi, um, do you feel that that also encompasses your life works? Uh, the responsibility, responsibility, if you like, of being a communicator and a writer. How do you feel about that? Um, I think that's what I do best. I think uh, it's a responsible thing to cut into the political discussion that we've been having over the last 40, 50 years and mm-hmm. chip in my bit. Um, I, uh, I, having, having said you have to get away from all that magical thinking, I do think that I have a nature, you know, and my nature is, uh, is not just conditioned by circumstance, but it's, it precedes all circumstance, mm-hmm. which I mean, I suppose it's genetic. Um, mm-hmm. but I have, um, you know, I have an orientation, or if you like, towards writing and communication and mm-hmm. image making. And, uh, and, um, and, and I think that has been a good thing to do. And I think that you, you judge the quality of your life by the satisfaction you feel in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for instance, when I'm engrossed in, in writing, uh, the next chapter in my book, you know, mm-hmm. then I, I, I'll tell you something very interesting about writing just to slightly change the subject. If you yeah. pick up one of my books and say, do you remember where you were when you wrote that page? Yes. Yeah. Invariably, I will not be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. And the reason I can't tell you I've worked out is because I was so gross, engrossed in what I was doing at the time I was doing that, that okay. I wasn't taking in any stimuli from, from mm-hmm. the environment around me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's, uh, I think that's quite a, a telling thing, you know, it just to illustrate that, you know, that the, my meditation, my absorption is, is yes. uh, at that time is, uh, is, is wholly encompassing and absorbing. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's the right, th- you know, that, that fact of itself hmm. attests to it I being think, the right thing for me I to be doing so. at that time. I think yeah. so. Would you feel the same looking at your photography, Malachi? Um, I have the exact same feeling with writing myself. So I absolutely get what you're saying with your photography. Would you feel the same? So it's almost like this, like kind of marriage or connection between you, the scene and the moment at that time, that kind of level of absorption. No, no. Um, partly because the thing is it happens so briefly when you're taking a picture, but also mm-hmm. I think that, uh, Whereas writing is about throwing the mind out and grasping hold of something and engaging it, I think uh, the photography is more responsive. You know, mm-hmm. it's like letting something happen. You know, uh, okay. artists talk about found art or found poetry. I think, in a sense, every photograph is a found photograph. You know, um, mm-hmm. unless you're a wedding photographer and you have to go out and do a thing for a job. But I think yeah. there's, you know, I do. I think, um, I think they employ two different sides of the brain, maybe. You know that the that the the writing side. Now I'm saying the writing side is the assertive, engaged, reaching out. But there are also mm-hmm. times when you're just out having a wee dander, and click. You know what to write. You know, 
mm-hmm. what has come to you as uh, you know and i was describing that in terms of that experience as a child okay writing a composition and getting stuck yeah. and then something coming uh, laterally into it so yes there is you know there is something responsive in both but i do mm-hmm. think that uh that the writing mind is a more assertive mind. I don't mm-hmm. feel that the I don't feel that the photographic mind is an assertive mind. Although it's a cheeky mind, it can be very intrusive, you know. I mean, sometimes you're doing a picture of somebody, you really are doing something really quite rude. You're trying to catch them, mm-hmm. uh, letting themselves down, you know, or yeah. or betraying their inner soul, yeah. you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so there's that. So. So I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking out loud and I'm still thinking that the writing is a more, well, it's certainly more cumulative. You know, you, you, you get an idea, you build in an idea, you build on it further, you test it, you know, you bring things in from the side. It's a, you know, it's a building project. Mm-hmm. Whereas taking a photograph is, you will take it away and edit it in Lightroom and, 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 uh, you know, make changes to it. And maybe there'd be different changes if you're doing another day, but it doesn't have that, you know, Working on a photograph isn't, uh, for me, anything like writing, say, a 3,000-word essay, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, one is receptive and the other is striding out on a journey. You know? mm-hmm. Okay, okay. To- talking about journeys, Malachi, there are a couple of other locations that uh, you did spend some briefer times in, which were Geneva and uh, Libya. and. Yeah. Uh, can you t- t- tell us a little bit about, you know, each environment, what you were doing there, what it meant to you, and were there lessons that I really, you uh, Well, Geneva was the the part Indian girl, you know, I went and stayed with her, mm-hmm. and then while I was there, I got recruited into this job teaching in, in, in Libya. I really didn't want to go to Libya. I really resisted it. I really had the feeling, you know, this is not, this doesn't fit. This doesn't feel like, you know, the the lift to Amsterdam or the or the chance of going to India. This just feels yeah. too uh, too practical, you know. And uh-huh. and so I was, you know, I had a bad feeling about doing it. But actually, that was wrong. It was quite good for me to go to India. India was the kind of counterbalance to India. Or sorry, Libya was the counterbalance to India. And mm-hmm. in India, I'd gone so soft and so gentle and so dreamy and mm-hmm. uh, and whatever. And then suddenly, I'm in a work camp. Uh, with men, uh, mm-hmm. and we're drinking and we're arguing. I'm going to a military camp to work with soldiers, uh, uh-huh. young conscripts, you know, hardly kids themselves, but, uh, but among other soldiers. And I, I just think that kind of, um, I don't like to use the word toughen me up, but yeah, it did. It kind of, it kind of, uh, was an, a necessary corrective to the kind of hippy dippy state that I was in when I came back from India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that sounds, it sounds Maliki like it made also an important mark, uh, on, on your sort of psyche, if you like. I mean, you returned. Yeah, Would you- yeah. A lot of it was about being with men, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of it was about being with men. And you've learned some very interesting things if you're with men all the time. I mean, for instance, sometimes, sometimes you go into the canteen for breakfast in the morning and you'd say to the guy next to you, are facing a Jesus, I had the weirdest dream last night. And he would say, Me too. 
you know. Okay. So you talk about women being synchronized in their periods. Man, we were all <laughs> synchronized in our depressions, you know. <laughs> you know, and then uh, and everybody's missing their girlfriend or their wife, you know, and everybody's in awful times, and sometimes shouting matches and stuff, and yeah. not phys- not not actual blows, but Jesus, quite close to it sometimes. Um, mm. And and the other thing that's so much easier with German men and French men is being naked together, you know, mm-hmm. which, you, you know, you don't do in Ireland, you know, but, you know, uh, men would just undress by the pool and jump in together, you know, and stuff like that, uh, which wasn't sexual or anything. It was just um, just an evolving body consciousness, you know, an evolving sense of being more at ease with the body around, around other bodies. Um but a lot of heavy drinking, a lot of arguing, mm-hmm. a lot of seeing men close to the edge, you know, in terms of depression, uh, mm-hmm. missing their, missing their partners. Um, and, uh, and a sense that men had this internal life of the mind, you know, that was troubling them, you mm-hmm. know, um, a funny story out of that. If you want a funny story was there was a cook called Walter, Walter Ludwig. Uh-huh. And Walter Ludwig was uh, had been married, and his marriage was broken up. But he and his wife were still friendly. Mm-hmm. And she actually came out to the camp, and and I danced with her one night and had a ball, you know, and a terrific time. But she was just drunk and dancing and go crazy. And yeah. uh, but then a few weeks later, I was going to Switzerland to to meet my girlfriend there, mm-hmm. and Walter asked me if I would uh, send go to a florist in Geneva. And send a dozen red roses, uh, to his wife because it was her birthday, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he had good feelings for her. So we went to a little florist in Geneva and, uh, said, you know, I want to send a dozen red roses to this woman in Jersey. And mm-hmm. he said, well, we don't know what roses cost there. So all we can do is charge you for the roses here. And <laughs> if they're, it's more expensive there, we give her fewer. And if there's, it's cheaper, we give her more. And I said, okay, well, 10 red roses and then we'll gamble on it. And then mm-hmm. I got back to Geneva, or back to Libya and Walter was waiting for me. And he says, what the, have you done? And I says, I, I did what you asked me to do. He says, you sent my wife 60 red roses. She thinks it's back on again. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, um, so coming back to Belfast, Malachy. You returned, uh, it was in 1983 that you returned, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Um, yes, that's correct. Okay, and, and I read, it was in an Irish Times article that I read that you were at that time a little bit concerned that you'd come back a little bit too late to kind of make your mark on your chosen vocation. After everything that yeah, we've well, spoken yeah. about, well, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I'm just saying. I thought by that at that point, I thought journalism's finished. I hadn't, uh, uh, I'd lost my chance. I'd, I'd been too long out of it, so I'd have to do something else. Are you still there, by the way? Can you hear me? Yes, I am. Yeah, You're yeah, I am. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, I actually, actually enrolled at the College of Business Studies to do an A level in French uh, mm-hmm. because I'd picked up a bit of French when I was away, with an idea that I would maybe go to university and and get a degree and and go straight, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was doing that, and I wasn't enjoying it, I thought this, this isn't really me at all. But I started mm-hmm. writing little stories and sending them out. Uh, I sent a wee story to the Irish News. Okay. And it was uh-huh. a, it was a wee story about getting 
trapped in the toilet for the disabled on the Stranraer boat or something, you know. And it was, okay. uh, <laughs> and, uh, the, and then, uh, Andy published it and sent me 20 pounds for God's sake. And then I sent him another and they gave me another 20 pounds. And then they, uh, they called me up and said, look, these are all very nice, but would you not want to do some real work for us? I said, sure. Okay. Well, done. And I said, yeah, well, would yeah. you go and interview so and so? And, and mm-hmm. so I was back in, you know, in no time at all, I was back into the groove of, uh, of freelance journalism. And okay. uh, it suited me very well indeed. It suited me a lot better than uh, being a member of staff in an office, you know, with the mm-hmm. the, the kind of rivalries that you get in an office, the yeah. uh, office politics, you know, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and if uh, you know, if somebody, you know, I wasn't making good money, but I was I was making enough money to get off the dole, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and it built from newspaper work to radio work. And mm-hmm. uh, from from radio work even to television documentaries, I, did, I think I've presented about a dozen TV documentaries. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and then I, and then it just kept on going, you know. And, and now the main thing that I do that I is is well, I still write a column for the Belfast Telegraph, but the the, the sense of having a project is about the books, you know. I like to right. always like to have yeah. a book in hand that I'm working on, and so I have I have that so. so This episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast is sponsored by Property Insurance Center. Property Insurance Center's sponsorship helps to support the local economy by promoting not only local writers, artists, and craftspeople, but also entities involved in travel, tourism, and hospitality. This first series of the Creative Places and Faces podcast has an exciting lineup of guests, including Jan Carson, Henry McDonald, Ann Smith, Malachi O'Doherty, Andrea Spencer, Helen Sharkey, Emma Thorpe, and many others. Today's sponsor, Property Insurance Center, specializes in commercial and residential property insurance and all types of business insurance. Originally established in 1976, this family insurance brokerage has served thousands of businesses and families just like you over the decades. To discover more or become a sponsor, click on the sponsorship link below this podcast. And now back to you, Jackie. What are you working on at the moment, Maliki? The you're not going to believe me if I tell you I'm actually writing about four books at the moment, but I am. But the main book, the one that I have to deliver at the end uh-huh. of September, is a book about the early troubles. The so the working title is "The Year of Chaos." It's about oh, really? um, the period between internment and Operation Motorman. Mm-hmm. Also, my book "Fifty Years On: The Troubles and the Struggle for Change in Northern Ireland" that's out this week in paperback. That's okay. Good. And, okay. um, and then you see what happens if you're writing books and you're into writing books is the, you, you know, you get the, the commissions and you work to them and that's the best part of it. But you also work mm-hmm. on other things tentatively and see if they develop. And so you get mm-hmm. a kind of a concertina effect. You get these bunching up on you. So I literally okay. do have about four books that I'm trying to, uh, yeah. work on at the moment. Um, okay. I brought in a novel, my first novel earlier this year. Terry Branken has a gun mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. uh, and I have a sequel underway on that. You know, so okay. Tell yeah. tell me something, Malky. The your your most recent uh, that you've just mentioned, Terry Branken has a gun. It has a brilliant, fast moving storyline. Obviously, set against oh, the backdrop. You yeah. You're very welcome. Yeah. Uh, set yeah. against the backdrop of a post troubles Belfast, if you like to use a, a coined phrase. The character mm-hmm. Terry. Um, can you tell Can you tell readers and listeners a little bit about your character Terry? 
Well, Terry uh, was in the IRA uh, and he did some awful things, but he left partly motivated by conscience and mm-hmm. partly because he met a really wonderful young woman called Kathleen. And he, so he put the IRA behind him and he, and he got married. He trained as a lawyer. He uh, became a solicitor, a bit of a property developer, uh, mm-hmm. good relationship with his wife, but no children. Mm-hmm. Um, bit of a cynic in some ways, you know, because he's a lawyer and he deals with cases, including loyalist paramilitary cases. Mm-hmm. But life's chugging along nicely until the cold case review team arrived to inquire about uh, a bombing in which a child was killed. And mm-hmm. that blows his marriage apart and blows his hopes of stability and settle down apart. And, uh, and, and and that's the start of it. Then um, things begin to happen, which are initially inexplicable. His his wife has mm-hmm. has basically walked out on him. She can't live with a man who, who killed a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but she's attacked in her home. She's she's staying in one of the the houses that they rent out to students in the Holy Land. And on her first night there, a petrol bomb comes through the window, and all the properties that they own are bombed or petrol bombed on that night. So uh-huh. then you have, so you have the mystery. So this basically the the challenge for Kathleen is: Are you better off when somebody's trying to kill you? Are you better off with a husband who's capable of killing, you know, mm. to protect you? And <laughs> yeah. and and the answer is yes, you are. You know? yeah. yeah. So 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 that takes you on a kind of hopefully a a, a fascinating romp, you mm. know, to uh, find out who it is that's after them, and yeah. to deal with other problems along the way. Um, so Terry, Terry is a very strategic person. Mm-hmm. He's in the, in a, you know, in another life, he would never have done any harm to anybody. Uh, he certainly would never have killed anybody. But, mm-hmm. uh, now if he, if, if he needs to kill somebody to clear the decks and protect his wife, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was his, was his character based on, any particular real life character that you've encountered or would you say he's more like a composite or how how did you? I don't know. I don't know. I do have a sense that if he walked in the door, I would recognize him, but mm-hmm. I don't know what he, uh, you know, what he's made of. Um, I mean, I do know that there are people who had violent paramilitary careers and never mm-hmm. went to jail and, mm-hmm. and, and have professional lives now. There are, there are such people among us. Yeah. And good luck to them, you know. Yeah, but, um, but, uh, Terry himself, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I have made him, you know, and I've maybe exaggerated some of his qualities because they impress me. I mean, mm-hmm. I like it that he's really logical and he's really strategic. You mm-hmm. know, I like that about him. I like it about him that he loves his wife, you know. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that he will deal with, you know, he will look after her. Um, but, uh, you know, I think in a way he's still evolving as well. I mean, there's a sequel now in the making in which we will have other insights into his character, you know. Uh-huh, um, okay. And I think there are other characters in the book, you know, who are, you know, like Basil McCaig, the uh, the copper, who's a born-again Christian evangelical-minded yes. copper, yeah. whose idea of justice is to leave it to God. You know, he says, uh, you know, I don't want this guy to go to jail. I want him to go to hell. You know, mm-hmm. and he's happy with it. But, but I mean, I think Basil is a, 
At, at one point, I'd thought of making Basil the centerpiece of the whole story, you know, and you know, and maybe doing a sequence of novels about a born again Christian detective, you know. Yeah. You know. Might yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great character as well. You you yeah. mentioned Malachi in terms of uh the places, you know, Belfast being home uh and so central to your work, obviously that goes without saying. You said previously to me, it is home, it is where people get your jokes. In many ways, Belfast was difficult because of the troubles. In recent years I've taken to lunching in city bars enjoying the lightness and familiarity that had been tainted and obscured in the past. If you had a friend uh, who was coming to visit from anywhere else in the world, apart from Ireland or north or south of Ireland, and coming to Belfast for the first time in 2020 or 2021, what would be the first sites that would be so close to your heart, they could be iconic or sort of off the beaten track? Where would you bring your friend? Um, well, I, I probably down to the Morning Star, you know, I think that bit of old Belfast with the wee entries uh, between High Street, Dan Street and some of the pubs down there and mm -hmm. the nice pub food, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, people often ask for a wee tour and you take them up around the, and show them the murals and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and I also, I mean, I, uh, you know, also I would take them for a drive around the mountains where you get a view of the city. From mm -hmm. high up, you know, uh -huh. yeah. uh, I think there's uh, some great sites up there. Um, I mean, that's it. I mean, I, it's very hard for me to think of Belfast as a tourist city because I'm not a tourist in it. Mm -hmm. I, it's hugely different from how it was. I mean, it's very much more easy to cycle around now. You know, mm -hmm. there's the towpath and uh, and the uh, the docks area. I mean, you think of that docks area. I mean. Uh, uh, McHugh's bar and places like that. McHugh's, wasn't it McHugh's? It was Dubarry's, you know. Mm. I mean, that, that was the sleaziest part of Belfast in the seventies. You know, that you yeah. wouldn't dream of going there, you know, uh, yeah, because yeah. that's where that was, you know, and now it's the, uh, it's the classy, uh, uh, pub restaurants, you know, and, um, and that's a marvelous change. And that change has been handled really quite well, I think, you know, mm -hmm. I think it would have been, it would have been conceivable that somebody might have just thought of just demolishing the whole lot and building a new. Mm -hmm. And having said that, I still think that area around the Titanic is lovely. You know, when you cycle down there, for instance, mm -hmm. down to the public records office of the Titanic, I mean, it, it's almost like Geneva, you know, some of the, you know, the modernity of it and beside the water and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on a nice day, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I, I have, uh, I have a close friend, I'll not name, but he's, uh, he and I meet, um, uh, -huh. uh, every, I mean, COVID has wrecked this, you know, so, of he's, course. Uh, yeah. and, and he's got health issues, so he needs to be, uh, shielded. Mm -hmm. Uh, but before that, we, we, we called ourselves jokingly the Chowder Club, you know, <laughs> and uh, we would meet in a different bar every fortnight to try their chowder. And it's amazing okay. how many Belfast bars serve chowder. You know, and we became experts in the Belfast chowders, you okay. know, the Morning Star, and, you know, and we could tell you the worst of them and the best of them. But we <laughs> haven't been able to do that since uh, since March. Yeah. Um, so I think the last chowder we had was in White's Tavern, you know. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, that's, that's lovely that Belfast still has Kelly Sellers, White's Tavern and Morning Star and the old entries and, uh, and that, you, you know, you can, 
you can walk around it and cast your mind back to before the troubles and it's still the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, one of the themes that you mentioned earlier on, much earlier on, we were talking about obviously telling a yarn, telling stories, and you talked about the people coming to your to your course that they were coming from um, all sorts of different backgrounds, but had the common ground of of maybe needing to talk about this, the this, the relationships they'd had with fathers. And mm-hmm. in a, in the foreword that you wrote for Belf- Belfast Stories, you wrote, I discovered that it is through individuals telling their own stories that the simple model of a society preoccupied with its own division breaks down. I was mm-hmm. really, really moved yeah. by that. Can you, can you elaborate yeah. a little bit, please, Malachi? I mean, that is so obviously true, you know. I mean... At the moment, people are uh, uh, absorbed in reflecting on John Hume and his achievement, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, which is not to be gainsaid in any way. But mm. the the model, the vision of of Belfast in John Hume's remedy, if you like, or the Clinton-esque view of Belfast, is that mm. Belfast is a is a society that was deadlocked between two heterogeneous communities. Uh, or sorry, homogenous communities at odds with each other, uh, you know, and, and you can read it that way. It, it is true that in, you put Belfast under strain and the sectarian division will emerge and we will argue about anything, but we will line up as prod and tig to do that, you know. But the reality is that when you sit down and say to somebody, not um, what did you do in the troubles, but say, um, what were you doing when you were 30 or, or, you know, or what was it like growing up at such, such a place, you know, they don't bring forward the troubles as the, uh, uh, you know, as the most significant part of their experience. They don't bring up sectarianism as the biggest blight on their lives, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they don't bring up the Brits as the biggest blight on their lives, you know, unless it, unless they have it, had it really bad, you uh-huh. know, and, and some indeed have, you know, and, yep. and, and I've met them. But generally, you know, you know, the, what they talk about, each individual life is an individual life with its own story and its own experience, mm-hmm. you know, and each mind is informed by that experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's when you go to the individual that, that the whole idea of, uh, of a homogenous society of a, you know, of a two communities model. It, it just becomes irrelevant. It becomes, it's like, um, that silly song from a distance, you know, which actually I think is appalling, but from a distance, Northern Ireland is, uh, a bleak divided society. Uh huh. You know, uh, yeah. come up close to it and talk to people and it's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, from a distance, there are, you know, the, there are canals on Mars, you know, going <laughs> land on Mars and there's no canals, you know. So it's something similar to that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I am so happy that you could join me today, Malachi. You've been so patient with our technical issues and everything. Um, so, so thank you very much, Malachi. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast. If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.